Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration, and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at traillesstravel.net. And now here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. Welcome back to The Trail Less Traveled. I am Jake Krylik, and I am co-owner of Lake Missoula Tea Company in downtown Missoula with my wife, Heather. And I am interviewing Larry Evans with the Western Montana Mycological Association. We're really pleased that we can do a second interview to finish off the first interview that we did with Larry Evans, our mushroom man from Missoula, Montana. We're definitely going to travel with Larry on some of his mushroom forays around the world, but we also hope to dive into a few of the more pertinent topics in terms of how mushrooms affect us on a human level. Non-timber forest products, mushrooms are very, very high up in that category. Many of us are collecting mushrooms in the woods. We also want to address, obviously, mushrooms and their role in forest restoration and in bioremediation, kind of the strong things that mushrooms can do to make our planet healthier. And finally, we also, of course, want to tie mushrooms and their value back to forest and land use planning and hopefully incorporating more of that going forward in things like the Lolo Forest Plan Revision. That process is ongoing right now. We're sitting uh, on a log up here in the forest And I know that when you had described some of your personal history, you had gone on several really cool travels to Japan, Korea, Asia, but you came back to Missoula. And why don't you pick up from uh, that point? Right. Well, thanks, Jake. Good to be back and uh, good to be able to uh, talk about my favorite subject, mushrooms. (laughs) After I came back to Missoula, I uh, started I guess you would say freelancing as a mycologist and started doing workshops and teaching mycology in Montana, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, British Columbia, and a little even a little bit in Alberta. So a lot of what I did was first straight mushroom taxonomy, teaching people the names and identities and uses of different mushrooms. But that has grown over the years, especially into cultivation and other applications. I spent uh, about four years working in Ecuador on petroleum remediation projects where the Texaco abandoned huge ponds of of crude oil and, and toxic materials and addressing some of the problems that the people faced in terms of trying to remediate those areas. I have also spent about 15 years now going down to Medidi in the Bolivian upper Amazon jungle and collecting new mushroom species there. I I take groups out there through the Western Montana Mycological Association and just on my own. We travel to Bolivia. We do collections in the jungle. 
In the past, we have deposited these collections with the Bolivia National Herbarium, and we have approaching 2,000 mushroom collections and dozens of new species that our groups have uh, turned up. Yeah, it's been an exciting phase in, in my career, I think, to go and do that stuff as well. But again, I think that one of the key applications that mushrooms have in our current, would you say, civilized nature is that we've accumulated a lot of toxins. We've brought a lot of poisonous stuff into our crib, you know, and we're living real close with a bunch of chemicals that we really don't want to be close to. And this has been really evident in the petrochemical industry. I've spent a lot of time explaining to people and showing people how petroleum products can make your life end or give you cancer and things like this, and also how these compounds can be deactivated by fungi. Here's the nuts and bolts, right? Okay. And to understand remediation or to understand how mushrooms can even live, you need a little bit of background about what makes a fungus tick, okay? And what a fungus is basically is miles and miles of microscopic thread. This only grows at the tip of the thread. It doesn't grow on the side. Sometimes it branches, but it only grows at the tip. Okay, the back of the mushroom is gone. It might as well not even be there anymore. As the mushroom grows, it pushes forward into its substrate, its food source, and at the very tip, it pushes forward enzymes and proteins and makes a cell wall. It pushes forward and grows that. And as it does that, it also pushes out into the surrounding environment. It pushes out all these chemicals, all these exoenzymes, all these enzymes that operate outside of the cell. And those enzymes stay in the ambient environment, right next to the mushroom there, the fungus there. And then the mushroom moves on. And those enzymes stay on the outside of the fiber, on the outside of the mushroom fiber, and it reacts with the compounds in the food source, in the wood or the dirt or the or the oil, or the oil that, it's, that it's growing through. Yep. These enzymes are extremely powerful. As the mushroom grows, the turgor pressure, the hydraulic pressure of this thread grows up like a water hose that's filled with pressure. And that pushes the chemicals, the enzymes, out into the substrate more, right? It kind of pushes them away from the mushroom because it's like swelled up. And then as the mushroom surges forward, that pressure drops. And suddenly the turgor pressure drops and it falls below the level that it was before. And all those semi-digested bits get sucked back in through the wall of the fungus. Are they neutralized? They're sucked right in through the, through the cell it. wall and they become part of the protoplasm. They're part of the food source. They're part of the metabolizing okay. energy that the, the mushroom then uses. And so... We had a situation for millions of years that every type of plant and animal that was out there could be broken down and degraded by a fungus. And that was pretty well balanced until 300 million years ago, okay? And about 300 million years ago, plants 
especially pesky conifers and cycads, they developed rosin, they developed lignin, they developed the stuff, the gummy stuff that stops as, as antifungus. Because cellulose, you can take one cellulose with a fungus, okay? The fungus has a toolbox of enzymes and things that can digest stuff. And this toolbox has some one powerful enzyme, for example, is cellulase. And it can just take like a zipper and it can unzip a whole string of cellulose that goes on indefinitely. And it can unzip that like, like a zipper and strip that cellulose and turn it all into sugar that the mushroom can immediately absorb like that. So the plant's evolution developed lignin. And lignin... resisted it. To resist. And this lignin is a lot chemically like petroleum. Okay? Interestingly enough, on a molecular level, the lignins are a mess. Instead of having, like cellulose, you all have one bond and you just can unzip that all the way down. The lignin has every kind of bond you can cook up, including the kitchen sink and the septic tank, you know? I mean, it's got the worst of every kind of molecule and it's all just thrown together like that. And so when the mushroom, the fungus, comes upon lignin, it's got single ring compound, double ring compound, alkanes, alkenes, saturated, unsaturated. I mean, it's just got all these different bonds that it has to break. And if it goes and pulls an enzyme out of its toolkit for every one of those, it takes forever. It doesn't have enough energy to break it down. To break it down, it doesn't. Yep. It's a it's a net energy loss. Okay. And because of that, lignin was deposited for sixty million years because fungus couldn't figure out how to digest the stuff. And so f- that's where all your coal came from, Mississippian, Pennsylvanian era, sixty million years of coal deposits. Yep. Because fungi did not figure out how to digest lignin. Atmospheric oxygen went to all-time highs, 21-plus percent, you know. The last time the planet was that warm. Yeah, well, and dragonflies the size of your arm, you know. I mean, we're talking when you get this saturated oxygen environment, stuff was different, right? Mm -hmm. And it was also very wet. So the fungus had both oxygen and water to work with. Lo and behold, after 60 million years of this nonsense, fungi, through probably competitive processes, figured out how to make peroxide. And they made an enzyme that could make peroxide. And peroxide could take all that jumble of messy chemical bonds and stuff like that and just light it up, burned it right off. Poof. You put oxygen on that stuff, it all breaks down into little molecules that you can eat. Yeah, it's all over real fast because that peroxide works 10,000 times. Each enzyme unit that the fungus makes can do 10,000 or 50,000 iterations of Well, this this is really an incredible scientific story and your analysis. Hope it wasn't too deep. No, but I mean, (laughs) I I hope that our listeners understand. And by the way, you're listening to The Trail Less Traveled on 103.3 The Trail. And I'm here with Mandela and Larry Evans talking about the wonderful world of mushrooms and fungi. And again, the role that it plays in the natural world. Thank you for that, because I think a lot of people are curious as to the properties that allow something as innocuous as a mushroom to break down some of the most toxic uh, elements on Earth. What fungi can 
do to organic molecules is to break them down, like what we've just said. Heavy metals and mining waste are a completely different thing, and we can deal with that next time. Sounds good. All right, Larry, do you have a song that you would like to recommend for this segment? Yeah, since we're talking about all the amazing chemistry that mushrooms have, let's take a look at one of my favorite mushrooms, Poison Pie. And we listen to the song, Nothing Like a Hebaloma. Nothing like a Hebaloma. Nothing like a Hebaloma. Poison pie in your eye. Nothing like a Hebaloma. Nothing like a Hebaloma. Poison pie in your eye, nothing like a hebaloma. Cortinarius, you're the scariest. Menacing and brown, we leave you there in the ground.
Hi, I am Jake Krylik with Lake Missoula Tea Company. We're back with Larry Evans, uh, my friend and mushroom man, also a good activist cohort. And we are interviewing Larry up here in a beautiful forest. Huckleberry, uh, spruce. Huckleberries are happening. Subalpine fir. <laughs> Very yeah. nice, very it's, nice. It's, uh, it's, it's all happening right here. Labrador tea. And Labrador tea. Mountain Valerian. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a very lush place and one that certainly has lots of fungus about. Larry, when we last uh, left off, we were talking a little bit more about how mushrooms can remediate toxics and other wastes. And of course, you alluded to your work down in Ecuador with some of the oil ponds, right. or oil, uh, yeah, oil waste ponds. But talk a little bit more about how it can recover places like Butte, you know, where yeah. we've got the heavy metal concentrations, you know, really sure. dangerous metals. Fungi really do two different things, okay? Yeah. One thing that they can do is their enzymes can break down these organic compounds and make them less toxic and actually turn them into CO2 and water. The second thing is with heavy metals. Now, heavy metals, you can't break those down. They're an element. They're an atom. So they don't get broken down at all. But heavy metals, like most metals, like salt, it dissolves in water. So you get a metal ion a cation, we call it, and it's in the water independently of its, its, its charge. And when that positively charged metal ion comes in contact with the fungal cell wall, that thread that we've been talking about, the rhizae and mycorrhizae, those threads are highly electronegative because they're like made out of woven cable, right? So this woven cable has lots of areas in between the cables that kind of generate electronegativity, right? They kind of have a draw and that electronegative property literally causes the metal ions to adsorb. They stick to the fungal cell wall and stay there. So, so you can so take... they're drawn right to them. They stick. Yeah, it's yep. just like a magnet type thing, mm -hmm. you know. When the mining water that contains the heavy metals or arsenic or whatever flows over the fungal membrane, those positive ions stick to the membrane, and the membrane will absorb almost until it absorbs its own weight in metals. It's a very efficient process. So different than the than the oil. Right. This is not breaking it down. This yep. is just filtering it. Filtering it. And okay. it's it's something that you do with running water. Running water through a culvert filled with fungus, with fungus. material. With yeah. Fungus mm -hmm. material. But even more important than that, Jake, is you know the role that fungi are playing in the forest here. And that's the part that we are really dangerously ignorant about and that we really need to yeah. How can they help us in restoration and, and, and recovering some of these ecosystems that maybe aren't completely wiped out but have been damaged? Well, I think one of the important things to look at is that fungi provide us with a lot of ecosystem services. Mm -hmm. And ecosystem services has been kind of a buzzword for the fact that forests produce clean water, clean air, sequester carbon, feed wildlife, and supply a lot of you know, secondary 
recreational opportunities, whatever like that. Yeah. So these ecosystem functions are extremely dependent on fungi. You know, we don't have any carbon sequestration. We don't have any water retention if we don't have the fungal functions going on here. Yep. Could you describe to us more of how mushrooms fit into sort of the non-timber forest products discussion and, again, how it's helping to, I think, give land managers and other policymakers a little bit of different perspective on right. the value of fungi? Well, yeah, I think this has been going on for a while. But I think one of the first studies done uh, at UBC back in 1996 first showed that the value of Matsutake mushrooms were equivalent to the value of the timber that was supporting them within seven years. They literally had to harvest mushrooms for seven years and they could buy the timber. The economics of non-timber forest products, as they're called, have been incorporated into Canadian logging practices for some time now. And the United Nations FAO has a really extensive electronic newsletter, and it's just a huge resource on non-wood forest products or non-timber forest products, of which there are probably 2,500 different kinds of mushrooms that are traded commercially around the world right now. Okay. And about 400 species of mushrooms that are traded commercially as medicine. So the idea of non-timber forest products as, as being a, a, an insignificant part of the forest economy is a, is a myth that's been perpetuated by the timber industry because it really concentrates wealth into a very small area, whereas non-timber forest products have been providing, you know, sustenance and survival indigenous people around the world for millennia. And and I think that part of the equation we're having trouble with in terms of non-timber forest products is not that there are not much of them. It's that we can't concentrate the wealth. We don't have it's a, so dispersed it's in terms of how yeah. it's so dispersed in terms yeah. of how people are actually, you know, how they're harvesting sure. it. There's or, plenty or, for yeah. me. Yeah. There's plenty for how you. They're selling it. Yeah. There's there's not enough for a commercial outfit to come in and sell to Walmart. Right. Right. So on that large commercial scale, probably not going to work. But on a more local, sustainable scale, it's there for a lot of people. Non-timber forest products are not the exception. They are the rule. They're the rule. In every country bar us, um, maybe. What other examples aside from mushrooms? I'm thinking, obviously, berries. Berries, of course, herbs. Medicines are, uh, I would say the forest is probably our primary source of medicines globally. The Amazon, of course, has been touted as a source of medicines. I know 465 medicinal plants yep. from the upper Amazon alone. So a huge, huge benefit know. for the pharmaceutical and, you know, for... Well, and the thing is, too, you know, can you patent it? Can you isolate it? Can you make sure that nobody else makes money on it? And that's very difficult with a lot of these native products because they are so widespread. Look at neem, the example of neem in India, how long that pharmaceutical companies have been fighting for the right to uh, patent and own neem. But India says, I'm sorry, you've got a cultural history of 5,000 years. You can't can't disregard 
5,000 years of traditional use Indigenous, yeah, and, and Indigenous suddenly use. decide that you own this and you can sell it to people. So right. we have some confrontations in this regard. Yeah, like for example, the spring, how many morels did you pick? What kind of morel season was it? When lilacs bloom, they can be plucked. The finest of the non-timber forest products, the the morels. (laughs) Morels are definitely one of the most economically important mushrooms harvested in Montana. I would say that the volume of morels depends greatly upon the number of acres that have been burned and the soil type of that acreage because some soils are fantastically more productive than others in terms of morels. But in an average season, you could expect to see, I personally see thousands of pounds of morels coming through. And when we go on our mushroom hunt with the Western Montana Mycological Association on Memorial Day, we never get skunked. And everybody comes home with a five-gallon bucket unless they just can't bear not to, you know. They're, so you're finding natural morels, you know, basically just that have popped up? Yeah, usually after burn. After burn, usually. Yeah, yeah. yeah usually but, after burn, but yeah. But they do grow naturally. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, that's we're doing a DNA study now with uh, Dr. Todd Osmondson, who used to be a Missoula resident here, and we're getting uh, DNA samples from uh, morel populations around the uh, Pacific Northwest, going to all the different fires, checking the during the burn and years after the burn, trying to establish how morel populations or morel individuals coexist in the ecosystem. And it's a big puzzle. We're still, we're still figuring it out. Yep. Yeah. Now, the morel mushrooms that you pick, do you dry them? Are you selling them fresh? How are you utilizing them? Right now, morels have had an interesting time because imported morels caused a poisoning in Bozeman that yep, has all made, read about it. made the news. And I would say that that's probably hurt morel sales by 50% or more around the state. Wow. Yeah. So and it's that, had a pretty big impact. It's had a huge impact. And, you know. But again, these are morels that came from another part of the, the country. China. Oh, they came, they came from, China. from China. They came yeah, from China. Yeah, yeah. So it, our local morels have not been implicated in any way, shape, or form. Any way, shape, or form. So yeah. you can still eat those. Yeah. <laughs> but cook them. You can eat it. Well, you can eat but you can cook them. Yeah. We are winding up this segment. And what do you think about for a song to share with our listeners? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one question that everybody always asks, we, we can't avoid it. We've got to go deal with it. And it's, can you eat it? You know? Now I'm a mushroom guru, I get questions all the time Somebody's got a woody conch or a pile of yellow slime It ain't about science, man, it's more about me Cause the only thing they ever want to know is Can you eat it? Can you eat it? Can you eat it? Can you eat it? It might be a hebaloma growing on some bones Or maybe it's a truffle pack full of pheromones Looking like a turd or looking like a treat The only thing they ever want to know is Can you eat it? Can you eat it? Can you eat it? Can you eat it? Oh yeah! People look at me funny like I'm some kind of dunce But I smile when I tell them they can eat any mushroom once There it is, name right down there by your feet with a name like poison pine now are you sure you wanna eat it can you eat it 
Pretty as a flower, or maybe psilocybin packed full of psychic power. Growing on a turd, or growing on your feet. The only thing you ever want to know is can you eat it? Can you eat it? Can you eat it? Can you eat it? It came to my mind the way it always does when I watch a little mice, mycelia buzz, like a bunch of mosquitoes down there at the pond, and all the froggies in the chorus try to sing along. on mushrooms. I couldn't take it anymore. And then I found myself on a wildflower tour. The girl showed us terilliums and then anemones. I looked her in the eye and I said, tell me, sister, please. Can you eat it? Can you eat it? Can you eat it? Can you eat it? Oh my. This afternoon, the trail less traveled is being recorded in a beautiful forest, which is welcoming to us on this hot summer day because it's nice and shaded and we're sitting among many, many living beings and the ones that we've been focusing on are fungi. And I've been here enjoying and listening, stepping back as the producer of the show while Jay Krylik, the owner of Lake Missoula Tea Company, interviews his friend and our local mycologist, Larry Evans, for the show. I don't think I've asked a question yet, and I think I might just ask one. So many years ago in Africa, I was in the African bush, and I had some mushrooms, and then all of the trees came to life, and I remember going, oh yeah, they could always do that. I just am more susceptible to it now, and my relationship with trees has certainly changed since then. Mm. How could you explain that portal in my brain opening so that the trees could interact with me in a way that they maybe otherwise couldn't? And in what other ways can fungi be used as medicine, not just to, as some people say, go on a trip to potentially cure depression or to help with anxiety? Yeah, thanks, Mandela. I think that especially psilocybin-containing mushrooms have become a real thing of late. We have suffered about a 50-year moratorium or prohibition on uh, what we call psychedelics. And uh, now the preferred term, I believe, is entheogenic mushrooms. Entheogen meaning entheo, the God within, to find that God within. I think that it's interesting to see that psychedelic mushrooms such as psilocybin have a cultural history that goes back millennia. 
We have examples of the ancient Mayans uh, using mushrooms that goes back a few thousand years. I think one of the oldest recorded examples is a cave painting in Libya, over 4,000 years old, that shows the mushroom man. I think one of Terence McKenna's premises was that humans became human by eating magic mushrooms. Not quite as glorious a Genesis story as, as you know, naked savages uh, killing woolly mammoths with sharp sticks. But on the other hand, it's uh, a little more telling of the true biology because our ancestors more likely survived on invertebrates than other other Large forms mammoth. of foods, yes. We were much more likely to be turning over piles of dung and eating the sprouting grains and uh, fungi that were growing out of the thing, much like modern-day baboons do, yeah. than we were to be out there massing stone weapons and assaulting the megafauna. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but... That well, along the way, there were spiritual qualities that were generated, right? Right, yeah. You eat a little it's bit. About, it's much more about our spirit, the metaphysical, than about the physical. Yeah. You eat a little bit of these mushrooms, your eyesight gets better, mm-hmm. you know? You eat a lot of these mushrooms, wow, you have a, a really serious experience, and you also are more reproductively successful, mm. just like truffles and squirrels squirrels that learned to eat truffles became much more successful. The truffles using pheromones from the squirrel pee actually mimicked the squirrel sex pheromones to the point where no squirrel alive today in our western forest exists without eating truffles. It's an absolutely essential part of their Mm -hmm. reproductive agenda. You know? So I think that the relationship between fungal compounds and people's physiology goes a lot deeper than our rather superficial understanding of like getting high or something like this. So we're back with Larry Evans on the trail less traveled. My name is Jake and I am the co-owner of Lake Missoula Tea Company and here with Mandela and Larry. And Larry, you just want to follow up again on some of the medicinal and kind of spiritual qualities that fungi have, obviously the psychedelics. Let's take it right to the present day. We have some really exciting discoveries and understandings that deal with psilocybin and also the lion's mane or the hericium mushroom, okay? okay? You probably are familiar with the concept of SSRIs, the serotonin reuptake inhibitors that were supposed to be so revolutionary in transforming people's mood. We're realizing that nerve cells work a lot different than the way that I was taught back in the 20th century. Our understanding of nerve cells now is that there are certain molecules, LSD is one, psilocybin is one, and hericium or herozoic acid, the hericium compound, is a third. All three of these molecules have an oily tail. And how does a molecule have an oily tail? Well, we got two kinds of molecules, right? We got the polar and we got the nonpolar, 
right? The polar molecules are like water, like salt, stuff like that. And so electronegative. You can put an electric charge in a salt water and it comes out the other side. Salt water transmits electricity. Yeah. Yeah. You do the same thing with oil. Nothing happens. Oil's an insulator. It's a non-polar thing. The whole idea of membranes, membranes are there to keep shit apart, right? You got to keep stuff separated from each other. And they do that by putting a layer of oil in between. So you've basically got little oil droplets or little oil bags with water in the middle. And that's what a cell is. That's what life is all about. On the outside of that oily membrane, you have protein receptor sites that allow sodium to go in and out so the cell can adjust turgor pressure. You've got nutrient ports so that food can come in and out. You've got receptor sites so that the cells can be stimulated by the other things. But nothing goes through a membrane. That's what I was taught in school for all my life. That's why a membrane's there. Molecules don't go through the membrane. But now we know heresoic acid, LSD, and psilocin, psilocybin, go straight through that membrane. They can penetrate it. They go right through the membrane. This is just within the last couple months. This is really huge. And it's also really kind of nerdy. If you don't have any context for it, it seems like, what an obscure point, Larry. Why even bother to mention it, you know? No, but it's why people are doing all the microdoses, it's right? Why, it's why right? microdoses, why it's microdoses, why microdoses are, so are mattering. Yeah, it's a microdoses matter. And I think that this is really neat to me because I've seen this whole discussion progress over the last 30 years. And I see that back in the day, we were evaluating mushrooms by whether or not you got high. Your only discrepancy was, am I so altered that I'm kind of uncomfortable? That was high. And now today we see that a whole new generation of people have, you know, acquired access to this same medicine and their interest is in a microdose about 10 to 20 times less of a dose than you would do for a heroic dose or for a psychological deep dive or something like this. Yep. And that's being driven right now by uh, Initiative 122 in Colorado. And we're seeing the genesis of very, I think the next big thing, if you will, a uh, big market in microdose, a mushroom microdose. So many states now are looking at these laws and rules for... That's the beauty of states, Jake. Yep. All the states are different. All you know? the states are different. Oregon decided that they were going to let people do mushrooms for 5,000 bucks a pop, the, the Gwyneth Paltrow model, you know, 5,000 bucks for five grams. And you got five people to hold your hand. And that's one model. The Colorado model is like, what are, do whatever you do and we'll tax you when we figure out what you're doing. And, uh, you know, kind of get on your mark, get set, go then I'd make the analogy of playing fetch with the ball, right? Okay, go fetch it, bring it back. Okay, now pay me and we'll play it again. <laughs> you know? But ultimately, these are benefiting people with real problems, you know, yeah. whether it's PTSD, Mandela this, mentioned depression. The science has been there for a long time. Yes. And even 10 years ago, doctors in England were prescribing magic mushrooms for people who were suffering from depression. You know, our understanding of depression has really been going through some changes too. We had a really bad understanding of depression in men because 
uh, standard tests for depression were showing that men were more psychologically healthy than young women, you know, in their teenage years. And yet male suicides were higher than female suicide rates in the same time period. So yeah, we said, obviously, we've got a problem with what we're asking. So they changed the method of inquiry and found out that more often than not, male depression is not expressed in dark moods and pouty behavior. It's expressed as anger. Anger. It's anger. And because we had failed to ask the right question, we weren't getting the right answer. And I think that this has been a very key thing to our understanding of post-traumatic stress disorder, cortisol levels, all these other aspects of our physiology that we've basically denied, ignored, and you get the resulting stress buildup. These are huge breakthroughs, I think, though, in terms of mental health and, you know, would remind our listeners, obviously, you want to use that at your discretion. Decriminalize uh, yeah, Montana. But, de- but de- you know, yeah. ultimately it's happening and it certainly is providing benefit for people who need it. You can um, find out more about Decriminalize Nature MT. Decriminalize Nature MT. Dot org. Dot org. If you want to find out more info on the psychedelics particularly. It's our effort here in Missoula to decriminalize psilocybin. Psilocybin. It's in front of the city council. It's front of the city it's council. Been, it's in so it's a resolution. It's a resolution. It's, okay. been, it's received more public input than any resolution in the city council's history. Wow. Impressive. So. I want to ask you some concluding remarks where you see some of the really key movement, you know, some of the next steps when it comes to fungi. I know that our involvement with the Lolo Forest Plan Revision which is happening right now, we'd really like to see the Forest Service take fungi and and mushrooms much more seriously, you know, in terms of long-term planning and resource protection. You know, what can you recommend, I think, to people that are wanting to see, you know, some positive changes, at least in terms of some of the forest policy? Three fronts that we're moving forward on with mushrooms. We're looking at remediation, we're looking at nutrition, and we're looking at forest management issues, okay? Mm-hmm. Got it. We had a mosquito there, sorry. That's all right. There's <laughs> bugs. <laughs> there are some bugs out here, but we're, we're, we're enjoying the bugs. Yeah, they're very tasty <laughs> if they're properly prepared. So first off, in terms of nutrition, we're seeing a lot of investment in mushroom production facilities, especially growing herisium, lion's mane mushroom. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at a rapidly expanding mushroom cultivation industry in this country. The oyster mushroom production has doubled every year since 1995. Okay, so... That species alone. Yeah, the oyster mushrooms have just boomed. And so we're finally getting a little bit of impact there. The science behind herisium and nerve growth, neurogenesis, is absolutely overwhelming because they're studying people's brains right yeah this is probably the most effective substance that we have found to combat neuralgia neuropathy nerve degeneration and these types of things memory loss yeah what is it oh yeah oh yeah yeah (laughs) yeah that yeah 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 besides uh nutritional aspects is remediation aspects right now the wmma is involved in taking 
used particle board mm -hmm. and feeding it to oyster mushrooms so that the toxic urea formaldehyde rosin that is in that particle board gets broken down and then we can add it to the compost. It's a healthy thing. Otherwise, that urea formaldehyde, if you put it in the landfill, it goes into the water. The formalin dissolves in water, becomes formaldehyde in the water is formalin, and it's a carcinogen. It's, it's toxic carcinogen. stuff. Yes. If you feed it to the oyster mushroom, the oyster mushroom burns off that formaldehyde because it's trying to eat the urea. It loves nitrogen. Yep. Fungi, remember, fungi have 700 times as much nitrogen as, as plants. They really need that nitrogen. So they're gobbling it up. They're gobbling it up, right. Last and not least is the role of fungi in forest policy. We have been facing a tremendous disadvantage for the last 50 years because there's no language in any of our Forest Service planning documents or anything else that even use the word fungi. We really need to stress... The, you mean they're not even classified? They're not even acknowledged because yeah. 50 years ago when this plan was made, fungi were still in the kingdom plantae. I mean, that was old 20th they century their own yep. science. Yeah. Yep. 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 But now it's been recognized worldwide. Chile has already come forward. They've got uh, modern language, including fungi in their forest management plans. It's now happening in Scandinavia. Three Scandinavian countries are currently involved in rewriting fungi into their forest management situation and into their legal protective language in terms of if you're looking at trying to protect an ecosystem and you forget about the fungi, you've got a fantastic ecosystem that's dead for some reason. Yep. You've you left know? out one of the primary right. building blocks. Yeah, exactly. So those are the types of things that we're moving forward with. We've got active projects to work with the forest plan. We have active projects at Garden City compost and we have active projects in terms of looking at decriminalizing psilocybin informing people about uh food mushrooms and helping people cultivate mushrooms in their own house sure. so you can do all that through the western montana mycological association yes and i know that uh, mandela is interested in becoming part of that and you had said that they do a field trip in the spring in the fall yep we'll be having one this Indigenous Peoples Weekend, uh, the it's in October, in October second weekend in October first, maybe this weekend this year. I'm not sure. We, we on but that people long can get weekend, check the website out. And we find have out. a long weekend. We go out and uh, yep, we find mushrooms. Great. Well, and again, everyone is welcome to be participating in that. Well, listen, we really want to uh, thank Larry. Big pat on the back, and I know that all of our. Trail Less Traveled listeners got a lot out of this, and we hope that you will jump on the mushroom train. It's a good train to get on for your body, for your mind, and for your soul. And uh, with that, I want to sign off from here in the western Montana forests. Summertime, we love it here in the Rockies, and we hope that you will check back and tune in to the Trail Less Traveled and future episodes. So this is Jake signing off to Mandela. Final song for you, oh. my friend. Well, let's see. Okay, just to say goodbye, I think we'll say goodbye with the Fungal Boogie Man, and this was arranged by Mike Bader, our mutual friend. Yep. And uh, he got uh, Blues Rookie of the Year for this.
Namaste Missoula, Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, the Trail 1033's locally harvested adventure radio series. The show premieres every Sunday night at 6 Mountain Time, and you can stream it live online at trail1033.com. If you missed the premiere, the show is also a podcast, available everywhere, with a full show archive at traillesstraveled.net. You can also learn about our international outreach programs and follow the show as it is recorded on location around the world. My name's Mandela, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, and it is my intention to seek and share sounds and stories from some of the most remote locations around the world. Often these interviews are recorded in that person's natural habitat in order to take the listener there on location. If you know someone that has a good story and you would like to sit down and interview them for The Trail Less Traveled, I encourage you to get in touch. You can contact me by visiting traillesstraveled.net. My adventure tip this week is to become a member of the Western Montana Mycological Association. If you're just getting into growing mushrooms, there are many factors to consider and the Western Montana Mycological Association could offer a community that can help spread mushroom cultivation knowledge and cultures throughout our community. Learn more by visiting montanamycology.com. That's it for this week's adventure, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week, please remember, it is a privilege to live in Missoula, but with privilege comes responsibility. 
Conservation is not a spectator sport. Please speak up and advocate on behalf of the resources that you love. can't seem to give them up I just like morels too much I like other shrooms and such But I just like morels too much Oyster mushrooms, mighty fine Seafood and some nice white wine Chanterelles are tasty too and a Wild mushroom ragu, store-bought shrooms can be a crutch, but I just like morels too much. Grab your compass, grab your knife, when lilacs bloom they're coming right. Where fires burn they can be plucked, the best non-timber forest product by the pound or by the bunch. I just like morels too much. Cook them up and fry them down, I like them when nice and brown. Pick all day and when I'm done I'll fry them up and eat a ton. Hello friends, family, and listeners around the world. I am so excited. One week from now I will be announcing a partnership that will allow the Trail Less Travel to expand its reach around the world so we can connect people with place through storytelling culture, history, art, and wildlife conservation. Be sure to follow The Trail Less Traveled on Instagram and Facebook so that you can find out what's in store for the future of Adventure Radio. They've quite the culinary rep, the black morel, Augusta Sep, yellow morcella, esculenta, dresses up your fried polenta, the taste of grease just can't be touched, and I just like morels too much. can't seem to give them up. I just like morels too much. I like other shrooms and such, but I just like morels too much. I just like morels too much. I just like morels too much.